Please turn with me in God's Word to Revelation 5. Thank you for the opportunity to be here with you today. It's a great honor, and uh, I have had some voice trouble the last few days, but I'm, I'm hoping and praying the Lord help us this morning that we'll be able to get through it. Um, and it's an honor to have one of our deacons from Heritage, Brother Todd Shaw, with us. Um, and we bring you greetings from Heritage Baptist in Mansfield. I want to read the fifth chapter of Revelation. We'll read the whole chapter. Um, the pastor had asked me to, to give a word about myself. I'm originally from North Carolina. My wife and I spent seven years in Oklahoma ministering among the tribes there. And uh, the year before last in December, we went to Mansfield and I'm studying there at IRBS and uh, serving in pastoral internship there at Heritage. Revelation chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and beheld in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Amen. Let's look to the Lord once again in prayer. 
Our Father in heaven, we praise you for this opportunity to gather as your people, as your living temple and dwelt by your spirit and having been purchased by the very blood of Christ. We thank you for the glorious hope of the gospel that you've given us in Christ. And we ask you now that you would open these truths to our hearts, to the building up of your people and the conversion of those who are yet in their sins. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear believers, you may remember what it was like during the last couple of years, especially at the beginning of the pandemic when they started the lockdowns and forced quarantines and the job situations changed for many of you, no doubt. Family get-togethers that you've been through to for years, you weren't able to go there. You may remember what it was like to feel isolated and worst of all, shut out of the public assembly at least for a few weeks shut out from gathering as the church to worship in person. Well, imagine how Apostle John felt so much more than this as he was banished on the prison island of Patmos. He tells us in the first verses in chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Imagine how he would have felt being shut out from the congregation where he pastored at Ephesus as far as we know. Being isolated from the people of God. Being there by himself on this prison island. He was banished there because the first century churches were under fierce persecution. The emperors of the Roman Empire wanted to stomp out the name of Christ and all of Christ's churches. Many believers during this era lost their lives. And as far as we know at this point, every apostle had died a martyr's death now, except for Apostle John. As far as we know, he was the last one left. The reason that they put them to death oftentimes was because they required Christians as a test to offer incense to Caesar and to say the simple phrase, Caesar is Lord. And they wouldn't do it. They would only acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. So they lost their life for it. Well, to some it may have appeared. And they may have begun to question. Is it true or not that Caesar is Lord? It looks as if he will stomp out the name of Christ and his churches from us off the face of the earth. Just to get a taste of how anti-Christian and how arrogant these emperors were. Some years ago, my dad was traveling and was able to go to the site of one of the churches, the seven churches of Revelation in Ephesus. There, the historic site that's in modern day Turkey. And there was an ancient monument there to one of the Roman emperors. And it showed his foot on a globe of the planet Earth. And the symbolism was that Caesar is Lord over all the Earth. And to some it may appear that this was the case. But here in this discouraging context, here during a time of fierce persecution, he tells us in chapter 1 and verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches 
which are at Asia. So it was during this time of great difficulty for Christ's churches and ministers that the ascended Christ appeared to John in glory and began to give him this holy vision of the book of Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. He tells him in verse 5 of the first chapter that it's from Jesus Christ, or John tells us that this letter is from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He's writing to these churches, not so they can use the book of Revelation to try to figure out all the details of the second coming of Christ. That was never the point. This book was not written primarily and first of all the 21st century believers to try to figure out those details. But rather it was originally written specifically to these churches who were under fierce persecution. And it was to remind them of one thing, that Jesus Christ is Lord. No matter though it looks as though seeds are made wipe out his name. It's not going to happen. Jesus is Lord. He's always been Lord. He'll always be Lord. And he will return to judge his and their enemies. And they must remember this and find hope in this. So after Christ has appeared to John, he gives him specific messages to these seven churches in Asia. The fourth chapter, John is called up into a heavenly vision of the throne room of God in heaven. We read that earlier in the scripture reading. And now here, it's as though the camera lens zooms in to one particular part of that throne room, to the hand of God upon the throne and the scroll in his hand. And that's where chapter five picks up as this scene focuses in on Christ. So with this in mind, I want to preach on the theme Worthy is the Lamb. We'll see it in three basic thoughts. First of all, worthy is the Lamb in heaven's scroll. This is verses 1 to 5. He says in verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now, as we open the book of Revelation, we take note of the symbolism. It's a highly symbolic book. It's not meant to be taken in a rigidly literal way. We know that from passages such as this, where it talks about the hand of God, God sitting on the throne. We know this is figurative language. As scripture tells us, God is spirit. As we confess that God is spirit and is without body, parts, or passions. So we know the scroll in God's hand is symbolic. But through these symbolic images, God communicates to us absolute truth about God. Though it's not meant to be taken in a rigidly, physically literal way, yet it conveys truth of who God is. The right hand being the symbol of God's authority and sovereignty. And then this scroll, as we'll see, standing for the decrees of God. So John sees God sitting upon this throne. In his right hand, there's the scroll. What kind of scroll is it? He tells us it's an unchangeably settled scroll. He tells us it's written on the front and the back, on the inside and outside. This is extremely rare for scrolls in this day. They would only write on 
the inside, never on the backside. So this was calling attention to the fact this scroll is settled. Nobody can add to it or take away from it. This scroll is invincibly sealed. He tells us it was sealed with seven seals. In these days, they would roll up that paper scroll and then they would take hot wax and they would press it onto the opening of that scroll to seal it up with the insignia of the emperor, whoever was sending it by their authority. Seven seals speaks of absolute or perfect sealedness. It couldn't be opened up. And John tells us in verses 2 and 3 that I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? This mighty angel's voice echoes throughout heaven and down through the earth and all the way down under the earth, he tells us. He's challenging any creature who would be worthy to step up and open the scroll. Who is worthy? Who makes rank enough? Who has the weightiness enough to step up and open the scroll? The angel is met with nothing but deafening silence. Verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Now what was this scroll that was such a big deal that the Apostle John wept and sorrowed when it couldn't be opened? Well, we know if we read the chapters after this that when this scroll is opened, that it brings about the final consummation of all things. God's judgment upon the wicked and the salvation of his people. It marks the beginning of salvation for God's people from the destruction and persecution of their enemies. This scroll has to be opened in order for God's redemptive program to go forward. So it's symbolic of the eternal decrees of God. <laughs> We confess and scripture teaches concerning God's decrees that they're eternally settled. It can't be added to, can't be taken away from. No man can thwart God's will. No man can look into God's decree. No man can explore the depths of it and understand it. These are the things that belong to God. Dear believer, when we think about this sealed scroll, we think about the eternal decrees of God. How that for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. We realize that everything concerning us is in this scroll. Everything concerning all of God's people and all of created reality is contained in this scroll. Every day of your life, dear believer, every detail of your life, every circumstance of your life, every good and bad thing that has ever come into your life is in this scroll. Now I wonder as John here weeps when the scroll can't be opened and he sorrows that there cannot be closure, there cannot be a consummation, a bringing about at the end. You know how it is when when there's been a family who suffered tragedy, maybe one of their family members was murdered and they, they finally have the trial and they, 
They justly condemn the murder and they use the language. Well, finally, they have closure. Finally, justice has been served. There's finally some kind of, of closure to it. Well, imagine all of the sin and wickedness and ungodliness against God and His Christ that's been committed down through the ages. And if this scroll can't be opened, all of them are going to go scot-free. Christ's churches who are being persecuted, these wicked Roman emperors, are just going to walk free. They'll never come to justice. The church may even be stomped out. This is a tragic event if this scroll cannot be opened. And there, John is weeping. But then the elders come, uh, an elder comes to him. And he tells him in verse 5, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Weep not, John. Turn. Behold. Look. There, the lion of the tribe of Judah, David's son and David's Lord, the lion-like Savior, Jesus Christ, has stepped forward to open the scroll. John turns and looks, and one glimpse of Christ and His glory turns his weeping and sorrow to joy. Yeah. Now, dear believer, I ask you today, what makes you weep? What terrible tragedy or circumstance or fiery trial what unresolved injustice causes you to weep or has kept you awake at night, has caused you to sorrow? We know and believe and confess that Scripture teaches that God is absolutely sovereign. There's nothing outside of His sovereign control and that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. We know that. We believe it. We confess it. But the sovereignty of God oftentimes is much harder to live when, when we can't see the purpose of it. We don't understand. It's like this scroll. We can't look into it. We can't open it up. We can't understand it. It's a closed book to us. We can't see how it's going to turn out. We can't see the end of it. How God is going to bring closure and justice. We don't see how He's going to deliver us. Sometimes you can't see, you, you think about this, this affliction and you say, well, I know and believe it's for the glory of God and that God has a good purpose in mind, but I don't know what the purpose is. I don't see how this could be for the glory of God. I don't know how God is going to bring this about for my good and his glory. I cannot understand. Well, dear believer, this is a struggle that we have all the way to glory. We ask sometimes why. We try to figure out and look into this book, but no man can open it. We will never know the answer in this life, and we may never know the answer in eternity. But when we have Jesus Christ, we don't need the answers because He is all the answer we need. If we have Him, we have all that we need and we can trust our loving, good God and 
Based upon all the gracious work He's done for us in Christ, we know that all He does is right, and we can rest in Him. And I remind you today that your destiny, the destiny of this entire universe, is in the nail-pierced hand of this Lamb who was slain. Remember how Jesus told His disciples just before He ascended to heaven, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. It's in Him that all things hold together. It's in Him that all things consist. He's owned this scroll and He will open it. Dear believer, keep hanging all of your hopes upon Him. One day, you'll hear just like John heard this, weep not. As Revelation tells us, the Lord will wipe away all tears from your eyes as His people. Worthy is the Lamb in heaven's scroll. Secondly, in verses 6 to 10, worthy is the Lamb in heaven's song. John turns to look upon this conquering lion who would step forward, but instead he sees a little lamb. This is a very different sight that he expected to see. He expects to see a mighty lion. But he sees literally in the Greek a little lamb. A few years ago, I took my children to a large zoo, the Oklahoma City Zoo. And there behind glass, they had an African lion. And you could get within feet of that lion. He would come straight up to the glass and look at you. And even though there was that heavy bulletproof glass between you and the lion, it was a sight that would... Uh, scare a grown man and make a grown man shudder with fear. Feeling and, and seeing the, the ferocious and strong nature of that animal, knowing that if you met with him and that glass wasn't there, he could tear you to pieces in half a second. You wouldn't stand a chance. Scripture tells him the king of beasts, or calls him the king of beasts. It inspires fear. This is what Christ is to his enemies. This is how he will meet his enemies at the last day when he returns as a lion to rend them to pieces under his judgment. Dear sinner, those of you who are still without Christ, if you can continue, if you keep continuing in your sins, you will meet Christ as lion to destroy you and you will not be able to withstand him. You will not be able to escape and you will feel the fear and the terror of the Lord like you cannot imagine on Judgment Day. But as John looks, he doesn't see a lion. He says he turns and he says, I beheld a lamb as it had been slain. At another time, I took my kids to a, a county fair petting zoo where they had a bunch of a baby sheep there, a bunch of little lambs and the children could put their hand through the fence there and pet those lambs. There was nothing terrifying about that lamb. There was nothing threatening. It has no sharp claws or sharp teeth. There's nothing hostile about it. There's nothing to inflict fear. It was a very inviting and, and warm experience for my children. Well, if you come to Jesus Christ now by faith, if you take Him as your Savior, you'll meet Him as Lamb and not as Lion. 
He's the lamb that was led to the slaughter for guilty sinners. The innocent lamb who, as they nailed him to the cross, though he could have, with one word, he could have hurled those soldiers into the very depths of hell, but he laid out his hands and feet. He willingly laid down his life like a lamb to the slaughter. He did not retaliate. He did not fight them. He did not destroy them. What a gentle lamb. What a meek and lowly Savior. And He tells you, come to me because I'm meek and lowly. You'll find rest for your souls. And during His earthly ministry, even little children could come and be around our Lord Jesus. And they were not fearful or intimidated by Him. And dear sinner, every sinner who has ever come to Him and believed upon him has found him not as lion to attack them, but as a lamb to receive them. And if you come to him, he'll receive you as well. Take him as your lamb. Our Lord Jesus steps forth. And it tells us that he takes the book, he takes the scroll out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. Now feel the force of this. We read about this throne in chapter 4. Thunderings and lightnings proceeding out of it. And voices. The angels and living creatures are around this throne. It's a rainbow around it. Imagine how majestic, how awe-inspiring. This is no throne that you would just waltz up to. This is the very throne of God. And yet, here... The man Christ Jesus, who is man truly man. Yes, he is God truly God, and he remains to be so, but he is also man truly man in his incarnation. And this man walks up to the throne of God and takes the scroll out of God's hand, and God willingly gives it to him. What man could ever approach God's throne that boldly and take that book like that? And God give him the book, except the man Christ Jesus. And dear believer, think about what kind of representation you have in heaven. Do you see how boldly Jesus Christ walks up to God's throne? You see how willingly the Father gives him this scroll to open? Well, when you go before God's throne in prayer, and you go in and through Jesus Christ, God receives you just like he receives his own son. No matter how many your sins or how awful your sins, for those of you who are in Christ, God receives you not for your own righteousness, but for the righteousness of Christ. Remember this when you go to God in prayer. Remember your great standing before Him. It would be like if one of your family members, say a blood brother, became president of the United States, you could say, well, we have representation up there in Washington now. One of us is on the throne. One of us is the most powerful ruler in the world now. Well, think of the great representation you have in heaven. One of us who shares truly in our humanity, the Lord Jesus Christ, man, truly man, is there, is our great high priest, is our representative before God. What representation we have. 
Well, as John sees John, John sees the Lamb standing there before the throne, taking the scroll, all of heaven erupts into worship. The 24 elders fall down and break out into song. They sing a new song. We hear the theme of it. You are worthy because all you have accomplished. Take note of the emphasis of this song. It's about the worthiness of the Lamb. Verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. The song in heaven is worthy is the Lamb. Go and interview everybody in heaven. A million, million souls. A number that John tells us later. No man can number that multitude that will be there redeemed by the work of the Lamb. Go to every one of them and ask them, why are you here? You know how it is at a family reunion and you're, you're seeing new faces and you're asking them what relation do you have? Or, you know, who did you marry or or who are you kin to? And why are you here at this reunion? We'll go through heaven and ask everyone, what are you doing here? How did you get here? There will be one answer. Every hand will point there to the Lamb and they'll say, it's Him. Worthy is the Lamb. He's the reason I'm here. It was in Christ that the Father chose me before the foundation of the world. It was by the work of Christ and His death and resurrection that the Father reconciled me unto Himself. And it was by the very Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit who is the Spirit of Christ, that He brought home to my heart all the finished work of Christ and the love of the Father that He had planned for me from before the foundation of the world. It's through and in and by Him that I'm here. He gets all the credit. I get none. That'll be the testimony of every believer in heaven. Ask old covenant believers like Abraham, why are you here? He'll tell you, I was just a pagan idol worshiper. I didn't know God. I was perishing in my sin and God appeared to me. He promised me a seed in whom all the nations would be blessed. That seed was Christ and it's through him that I'm saved. He's the only reason I'm here. You could ask new covenant believers. You could ask the woman at the well, why are you here? She'll tell you I was going about my life like any other day. I went down to the well for a drink of water like any other day. But there Jesus came to me. He gave me living water. He's the reason I'm here. Ask any believer in all of human history. And they'll tell you, worthy is the Lamb. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Well, why? Why is it that he's worthy? They tell us in verse 9, For you were slain. You've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You're worthy because you died a bloody and violent death as the substitute of your people. You're worthy because in supreme victory, you succeeded in redeeming a people to God. And not just a few people, but a vast, innumerable host. All of God's elect. He didn't try to save them. He just saved them. 
You may, you may know what it's like as a, as a hunter. You might be like me. You're good at hunting, but not as good at finding. Or as a fisherman, you're good at fishing, but not good at catching. Well, not so with our Lord Jesus Christ. When he came to redeem his elect, he, he gained and he redeemed everyone that he set out to save. He was the successful savior in all of his work. And he is worthy to open the scroll. He redeemed us to God. He bought us back off the slave market of sin. And to do this, he had to go there to the cross where he made that great exchange as we stood on the slave block. He had to go there in our place. He had to pay the price. He had to suffer all the wrath of God that was due to us in order to purchase our freedom. There, that great exchange took place at the cross as he tasted death for us so that we may have life. He took the curse there for us so that we may enjoy God's blessings forever. He took our sin upon him so we can have his righteousness imputed to us forever. There in heaven, we'll sing with these that are there. We're here in heaven because he went there to the cross for us. As lamb here, this image of the lamb, this harkens back to the Passover lamb. And you remember how that God warned them that at midnight he would pass through the land and he would slay the firstborn in every household. But he made a way of salvation for them. He told them if they would sacrifice the lamb and that they would paint their front door of their house, the doorpost with that blood. Remember how God promised, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. I can imagine that evening as a firstborn son sitting at the supper table. God had commanded him to slay the lamb and then cook its meat and eat it with bitter herbs. And you can imagine that firstborn sitting there at the table eating the meat of that lamb with the bitter herbs. And it's almost midnight. And as God visited death upon all firstborn in Egypt who did not have the blood of the Lamb applied, the screams of death go up into the night. The, the cries of anguish and sorrow of those firstborns dying under the judgment of God. Maybe that Hebrew firstborn son's heart began to pound. Maybe he had cold, sweaty palms as he wondered, am I going to fall under the wrath of God? Midnight comes and goes and he's still alive. And he's as he's eating the meat of that lamb, the taste of the lamb is in his mouth. And he realizes the only reason that that's not me dying under the judgment of God right now is because of this lamb who died in my place. That's the only reason I'm not perishing under God's judgment. Dear believers, after the final judgment... <laughs> As we have heard the screams of those cast into outer darkness. And we know we deserve to go there because of our sins. And yet we enter into the glories of eternal life. Into the presence of God. And we enjoy the vision of God's glory. We join in this worship of the Lamb. Forever we'll have the taste in our mouth. The only reason that's not us burning under the wrath of God is because of this Lamb who died in our place and redeemed us. As 
It's been such a joy to experience a, a few small taste, foretaste of this, this coming day when people of all nationalities, all languages, all tribes, it tells us, will gather there and sing this song to the Lamb. Seen in Kenya, Africa, where they have 43 different tribes. I've worshipped in churches there where there are people from various warring tribes that used to hate each other and that when they have opportunity, they will wipe each other out. They'll seek to exterminate the whole enemy tribe. They hate each other so bad. But now they're there worshipping together. And they'll tell you our tribal identity is that of Jesus Christ now. One of the strangest scenes I've ever seen in my life was in Paris, France. There was a small a storefront room that the church had there where they met. And it was a baptism service on the Lord's Day. And that little a place was packed out. And the man being baptized was a former Muslim from North Africa. His name was Abdenor. He had been converted. He was being baptized on profession of faith. The pastor there baptizing him had been an atheist before he was converted. He was from France. There present in that service, there were believers from France, from Africa, from Asia. There was a Jewish man with his family, a Jewish believer. There was a man from Poland who just a few months before had been in a a neo-Nazi skinhead. He pulled up his sleeve and showed me the swastika tattoo on his arm. And he was attending that service because three months before he'd been converted and he and his wife, after living together for 17 years, had become married and they were on their honeymoon in France and they came across the church there and came to the service and he made known to us before the service. He said, I want to apologize to some Jewish brothers and sisters and others because I used to hate them but now I love them in Christ and after that baptism service where that ex-atheist baptized an ex-Muslim there that ex-neo-Nazi skinhead they gave him opportunity and with tears in his eyes he said I want to tell all of you that are not white that I love you in Christ before I hated you without now I love you and after the service, he and that Jewish brother embraced and wept on each other's shoulder. And as I looked around that scene that, that day, at such an unusual scene, I thought, where in the world could you see this except by the power of the gospel of Christ? To dissolve these kind of hostilities and to tear down the middle wall of partition between us and to make us one body in Christ. But this is only a tiny glimpse of what we're going to experience at the last day when all the elect of all ages from all corners of the globe gather together and begin to sing this one unified song of glory to the Lamb. He's worthy in heaven's song. Third and lastly, worthy is the Lamb in heaven's shout. This is verses 11 to 14. He says in verse 11, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. 
The angels will not miss their chance to join in in this praise to the Lamb. And though they can't sing the song of the redeemed, for blood was never shed for them, yet they join in and worship the worthy Lamb for His great accomplishments. And as these angels join in and all the others in heaven, the sound echoes down through the earth and down under the earth and into all the created universe. It tells us in verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. All creation joins in this song. From the lowly frog to the soaring eagle, from the tadpole to the whale, every creature, great and small, it tells us, joins in ascribing worthiness to the Lamb. The waves of the sea roar, the wind blows, the trees wave their hands in glory and praise to Him. The stars shine for the glory of the Lamb. All creation joins in. This reminds us that because of Christ's cross work and His resurrection, all of the created universe will be redeemed from the curse at His return. Even from the belly of hell ascend up the groans of the damned who are there as the voice goes down under the earth and they begin to join. Dear friend, if you die in your sins, you will still give glory to God. You will still worship the Lamb. Even in hell, you will groan out the glories of the Lamb. Rejecting Him in this life will not deliver you from worshiping Him in the next life, even if it's under His fiery judgment. The shout is begun by the angels, echoed by the whole created universe. And as it echoes back to heaven, the four living creatures say, Amen. And the 24 elders fall down and worship Him who lives forever and ever. Now, dear people of God, in light of all this, I encourage you today to keep the glory of the Lamb front and center in all that you do. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. This is our battle cry. This is our motto in all of life. This is our motivation, our highest motivation in life. It's the reason we exist to worship God by the Spirit and in Christ. May we live and die consumed with the glory of the Lamb. We're pilgrims like these first century Christians traveling through a hostile world. There's so much that can discourage us as we look around the present world situation. But we must always look to Christ and remember this day is coming. It's just ahead of us. Even if we live another hundred years, it's just ahead of us in comparison to all time and eternity. Dear believer, let us repent where we have sinfully failed to keep the glory of Christ front and center, where we've taken glory or credit to ourselves, or where we've given it to idols. It reminds me of the Pilgrim's Progress, the second part where a Christiana sees there an interpreter's house. 
She sees a man with a rake in his hand, raking through the trash on the floor. He's raking through the, the muck, the muck raker. He has his head down all the time, looking at that trash on the floor, raking it. And just above his head, there's a celestial being offering him a heavenly crown, but he, he won't look up long enough to even see it. He always has his head down in the muck. Well, it's so easy for us, isn't it, believers, to get like that muckraker and to be so consumed. And yes, we have to be diligent in work and living well, working well for the glory of God, but we can become consumed sometimes so that we forget to look up and remember the glory of our Christ and the joy that awaits us in Him. But I encourage you, dear believer, to look up and look up every day. Today, for those of you who are still without Christ, those who are still in your sins, I plead with you and I invite you to come to this glorious Savior. Up till now, you've wasted your whole life not worshiping Him. His Father thinks Him worthy of all creatures' worship. And He hands Him this scroll. The elders and the living creatures and the angels and all creation thinks He's worthy of worship and they sing and worship Him. And yet all your life you've not worshipped Him. What a tragedy. But He's so gracious that He's willing to forgive you. He's willing to receive you to Himself and to make you a worshiper of Him this very day to join in. And for you to be able to sing and know that He's your Lamb and that He's washed all of your sins away. Come to Him and behold this Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we can never put in words, we can never express, we can never thank You adequately for all that You've done for us in Christ. We deserve to be in hell right now and forever. For our sins against you. Not just from before we were saved. But even since we've been saved. We deserve nothing but your judgment. We thank you for your free grace to us in Christ. And we pray that you would help us as your people. To live in this realization. And to put sin to death. We pray for those that are in their sins. O oh Lord this day. To live them and open their eyes. Their hearts and minds. To the glories of Christ so that they cannot resist and can't stay away from another moment. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.